Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Devin News from Buy Me. How are you doing, Devin? Hey, how are you doing, Ronan? Thanks Good for having me So tell me a bit about your background. Sure. So, um... Surprisingly, my background is not actually grocery or technology, albeit that's the, the world I very much find myself in today. Yeah. Uh, I actually spent the vast majority of my career in the energy markets. So I used to work with large retailer pharmaceutical manufacturers to manage and hedge their gas and electricity portfolios. Um, and spent the last part of my tenure in the market actually working in the area of demand side management for the electricity market, which was helping you know, the electricity grid operator, air grid, uh, balance supply and demand um, by, you know, using a, a platform approach. Um, that was kind of where I kind of cut my teeth, I would say. Um, and then in 2014, I was getting the itch to start another business, um, and that was Buy Me. Um, and Buy Me is my fifth business, so I've had four spectacular little failures that have got me to, to this point. In my view, the failure is good because you learn from your mistakes. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. I've always, I've always looked at um, the process of starting a business like muscle memory. Um, the, more, the more times you've done it, the, 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 the more frequent you've gone through the processes, the faster and easier it becomes. Um, and you very quickly, all of a sudden, start to naturally avoid you know, pitfalls and potholes um, that you probably didn't foresee the first time around. So you know, the, yeah, the more times you do it, the better you get it, I suppose. Yeah, the worst thing, I guess, is if you're somebody who's never had any mistakes in your life or any pitfalls, and suddenly one appears... You're never think. What do I do next? What what path do I follow? Yeah, totally unprepared for it. So I'm a I'm a firm believer uh, that you know failing um, is is a key part of succeeding. Um, and and really the trick to, to think about failure is to use it as a course uh, you know course trajectory changer rather than uh, than a barrier or a, or an end to something. Yeah, most of the, most of the viewpoint fail next time fail better. Yeah. yeah, I would say always try and fail. If you're going to fail, make sure you fail well. Yeah, because I've seen people who haven't failed well and they don't get it. I'm thinking, hold on, you made a mistake and you've got to realize, am I, have I got the ability and the strength to go and restart again and do something else? Or do I know I'm not, I can't do this anymore? Very much so. That's, I think that's very much the case. I think a lot of people take their first failure as... A death knell, um, when in actual fact it's it's a speed bump, not not yeah. a not a yeah. off, not a not an end. Like I look at every couple of years, Paul Hayes does his uh, start a startup wake, which I think is a great idea. Yeah, we need more it of is. those. Yeah, I think I think I think that's the type of culture that we need to develop more of, particularly in the younger. You know, entrepreneurship has gotten very sexy in the last couple of years, um, and I think what you know a lot of it is that it's it's very much romanticized when in actual fact it's quite a greedy. Uh, traumatic experience um, for the for the best part, particularly in the early stages when you're when you're trying to find your feet. Um, and I think that the culture of you know recognizing that it's okay for a startup to uh, to you know pass away <laughs> and to to you know to recognize it and appreciate the journey that you've been on and then move on to your next one um, in a in a more lighthearted fashion. I think is an important culture that we we should be driving for. And also, you got to realize when when to pivot. If you're not going well going well then in one area. You got to know, can I still salvage it by pivoting in another direction? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've always been open to uh, to changing direction from the feedback and insights that you garner from going on the journey yourself. Um, you know, Biomi is quite interesting in that sense that we actually haven't pivoted our business very much at all um, since we came up with the concept back in 2014. And how did it start, Biomi? What does it do actually to give us an overview of it? 
So Buy Me is a on-demand grocery e-commerce platform. Um, but most importantly is that we're a shared infrastructure for grocery retail. Yeah. And what that means is we allow users to order grocery and household items from large retail partners like Tesco and Little today, um, but have those items delivered store to door in as little as an hour by their very own personal shopper. So we're one infrastructure, one digital and logistics infrastructure, and we support multiple retailers to provide you know, rapid same-day delivery. Um, and that's that's ultimately our offering to both the consumer and the retail market. Um, you know, I kind of stumbled upon this sector back in 2014. You know, obviously, I was spending a lot of my time in the energy markets. And what I recognized was um, you know, that there was a real need for, for some, you know, a, a new solution within the grocery sector. And so the, the way it came about, being very honest, is over a pint in a pub, uh, in the Gingerman pub specifically, actually, uh, beside Trinity College. Um, and, I, and someone mentioned to me over a drink that, did you know, Devin, that the online grocery e-commerce market is worth £9 billion across Ireland and the UK? That's the total spend in online grocery. But the whole channel combined loses £300 million a year. Um, these are the subsidized losses that all of the retailers uh, absorb trying to provide online grocery. And I thought that was really fascinating because you know nine billion is not a small market, right? That's yeah. an enormous market spend. That's nearly the size of the entire grocery market in Ireland. Um, and I thought, isn't it interesting that this is a fully d- dysfunctional market in the sense that it's not it's not profitable? Um, and so I took I took a day off work and I actually went and pulled all of the research industry reports on the sector, and I realized a couple of key fundamentals that I thought really showed me that there was a there was a real opportunity, which was one, you know the there's only three growth channels in FMCG. Yeah. For the first, that's online, number one. Number two, discount channel. Number three, convenience. Um, and when I looked at the long-term demand curve for online, which is the fastest growing channel, yeah. I could see grocery online was going to double to 20 plus billion um, in, across both Ireland and the UK just, just in 10 years alone. And so, you know, free market economist hat kind of came out and I said, well, if you have a rapidly expanding market, heavily compounding losses, um, and a short window of time, it's very likely that this channel is going to experience quite a significant disruption. Um, and it will be a really interesting market to be in, industry, industry, interesting sector to be in uh, for a decade or two of, of my career. So I, I decided to start making my pivot, as yeah. you said, um, into this channel. And that, that took me uh, you know, a couple of years to really make that shift. And I can just see in, in, in 10 years' time, there'll be a plaque. So Ginger Man saying, buy me, we found it, we started here. I, I, I would I would hazard a guess that buy me is not the only business idea that has come out of the Gingerman Pub. Yeah, it's a it's a great spot. <laughs> it is, yeah, fantastic, particularly at Christmas. Yeah, I've been going there for because I used to work just around the corner of Main Square. I used to go there after work, or right, where I live now, it's about ten to walk from there. So it's a night I used to go in there five nights when I was up late. It was a great spot. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, we'll be able to all go back there soon. <laughs> and hopefully soon, we're going to see all over the city certain plaques uh, that we were remote working, but our business started here. Very much so. Very much so. Because I, I've seen to, I've seen that basically right now with the online way it's going, people are now going to be using online a lot, a lot more, not just for food, for other things as well. For sure, yeah. I think I think the online channel has uh, has really seen quite a significant um, acceleration across not just grocery but all channels, and um, particularly with the, the last quarter, last three months. Um, you know, I, I, when it comes to grocery, grocery has been the laggard yeah. in the online. Market, you know, we have a seven trillion dollar global on uh, grocery market. Less than one percent of that is online today, so it's still very nascent. You know, whereas industries, like, you know, sectors like fashion and white goods, and um, you know, online has been has penetrated those sectors, you know, significantly faster. Um, and I, I really do believe that grocery is kind of the last great frontier, 
um, for an explosion uh, within the e-commerce channel. What we're going to start to see um, over the next you know uh, five years, but particularly accelerated by by what we're experiencing now, is an acceleration of that channel and a resegmentation where you know the online channel becomes quite a quite a primary channel for the very first time. Yeah, I saw today briefly in the news that was reported today saying there's a twenty percent increase in people using online shopping now for root for food because of what's happening. Yeah, and I think that, you know, um, I think you know Keith Weed, former CMO for Unilever, put it quite well. He says there's been probably you know five years worth of consumers pushed into the e-commerce channel, whereby they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't have tried the channel for another couple of yeah. years. But actually, this has really kind of you know sped up that process, and you know ultimately that is going to have an impact on the long-term uh, trajectory of the market. Well, I guess the consumers now have got to, uh, more got to adopt it because how else are they going to get the groceries in? Yeah, and I think it's also you know it's mindful to think about you know not just the the, the demand for online, but also how the physical retail space is cha- is transforming. You know, I think that's quite an important factor as well. Is that you know the way we shop for things is really changing. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone you know all your listeners can can will recognize that now we have this additional added friction of standing outside a store. Yeah, you know, not too bad when it's summertime, but come winter, that's going to become a real friction point. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that I think, you know, uh, the, the longer, the, the more that this kind of new normal uh, starts to sink in, I think we're going to start to see uh, a continued acceleration uh, in, in online channels across every sector. You know, so I guess when you walk into a shop, normally if certain products get prominent spaces on the shelves, and you walk and you can't miss them. When it's online, how is that going to be uh, happen? How will that work? That's 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 a big area of focus, I think, when it comes to online across all categories, but specifically in grocery, and that's a big area that our you know the Buy Me team are very focused on, which is you know how do we create really personalised experiences online, um, and that's going to be about building up really strong you know three hundred and sixty degree data views of consumer behaviour, you know, understanding what kind of profiles they you know sorry products that they really have a preference for. The way to think of it this way is that seventy five percent of all of the content that we consume on platforms like Netflix and Spotify is recommended content. Yeah. We we don't see that we don't like it's like that iceberg analogy where you see the tip of the iceberg, you don't see the body of it under yeah. the water. You don't see half like seventy or you know eighty percent of the of the content that these platforms have because it's all about the algorithm feeding content that they know that you like based on your on your purchasing patterns. I think that's going to be a big driving factor, particularly when it comes to grocery, on how do you introduce consumers to new products, new categories that they may not have tried before. That's going to be around you know that kind of uh, mass market consumer behavior, recognizing patterns and specific demographics, and creating really really great experiences for you and users. Because I guess when you when you're shopping online. The fact that you, you got no trolleys in your way, you don't want a trolley that's got a, bu- a bucket of wheel, you, you're traveling seamlessly. So you're going to make sure that when a consumer is shopping online, it's seamless and they don't just spend hours looking for products. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, that's the, the ultimate thing is, is how, do you, how do you make that process fast and seamless but without creating this pivot to passive, which I think is a, is a big challenge for FMCG as an industry, is that consumers are becoming less and less involved in the purchasing process. And, you know, they, they stick with the same brand of milk and butter and bread. And, you know, they may only dip into uh, the process to to add specifics, like maybe their favorite tub of ice cream or whatever it might be, or to try some you know new type of pizza. But, you know, most people are moving into this kind of, they'll just go for what's recommended them or what they've always been buying. So how do you create that frictionless experience for customers while also introducing them to new brands, new new products? And that's, that is going to be an ultimate challenge um, that you face when it comes to grocery. But again, Linking it back to the fact that less than one percent of the market is online today, it means all of the best practices and all the technology and infrastructure is still in its very early stages of development to really kind of open up that experience. Yeah, but the good thing is, 
most consumers now have have got actually got mobile phones, so they've really got technology there that that, or that can that can that can yeah do this. And also as well, if you make sure things are only two clicks away, not more than that, it's going to be easier for them to adopt to it. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's all. That's all down to how do you how do you how do you create uh, the most frictionless conversion? And I think there's so many great platforms out there across lots of different verticals um, that do that. I saw a really interesting article recently about um, how um, how Revolut yeah. out of all the neobanks has one of the one of the least amount of clicks for converting customers, and that's obviously been a big driver to, the, to how they've grown their market share. Because yeah, years ago, when I was in college, and we were doing about usability, new I, new X, we were always told the most you can have to get somewhere is two clicks from from where you start to get to where you want to be. If there's more than two clicks, forget about it; you haven't made it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think right now, when you're shopping online, if you're lo- looking, for example, you want to find a uh, artisan bread. It's got to be within two clicks, and not just. It's got to be easy to find. It is to find your Brennan's bread or whatever, or your Pat the Baker or whatever brand you use. Yeah, no, I think. I mean, ultimately, it's about driving that that you know path to purchase for the end user, um, and again, building up an understanding of what their actual preferences are and what types of products that might be of interest. Yeah, and I guess uh, if, if you manage to get, as you said, you've got all these retailers online, and I guess right now in this pandemic, it's easy for them to sign up because what have they got to lose? Um, yeah, well, I think I think it's it's you know the the, the COVID situation has been less of a, a driver in that sense because ultimately the online channel is a primary growth channel and the fastest growing channel for grocery in in any instance yeah. regardless of company. So I think many retailers have been mindful of that over the over the last number of years, um, and I think we have been in a, in a quite a significant growth curve for the last eighteen months, and um, because you know back in twenty eighteen we obviously had a flagship partnership with. Little Ireland, yeah. um, and that was a, a first of its kind partnership in Ireland, the UK, and we were also the very first independent e-commerce platform to take the discount channel online, and that again is quite an important, uh, I would say, catalyst event for for grocery online as a whole because you know grocery is not just one retail, it's not even just one one price point. You have this variety of selection of retailers, offerings, pricings, um, and and bringing discount online is is something that's uh, quite new, uh, quite innovative, and creates a, a whole new offering. Um, for for end users, so you know they you know we've developed a really great partnership with Little Ireland. They've been tremendous, and um, you know, uh, in helping us build out our technology and develop really unique innovations for supply chain, um, and also you know supporting us in terms of growing our business and growing growing the our uh, our, our presence in the market. So I guess COVID hasn't really affected you guys in, in any way at all, as such. Um, I would I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it hasn't affected us. Um, you know, obviously the the acceleration in demand for online has been uh, certainly a, a key area of focus for us. And um, you know, we as a as a business, you know, we've been you know pretty well funded. We raised about five and a half million to date, but you know, two point two of that was in at the start of this year, and we've been working on that funding round for quite some time. And you know, when COVID happened, we realized that very quickly we had to reassess our, our commercial strategy, and um, because we were trading you know six to seven months ahead of our own plans. Um, and so that's it's obviously a high quality problem, but nonetheless, you have to make sure that you have the resources and infrastructure to be able to support that type of growth. Um, and that's that's certainly a champagne problem that we've been we've been we've been working on uh, over the last three months to make sure that we're in a position to you know provide uh, what has very quickly become an essential service. Yeah, and I guess you know, investors are probably rubbing hands with Clean now, thinking we put money in, in the right business because they're they're selling online and right in COVID, online selling is going to be the future. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we've we've you know we've a great network of investors that have supported us over the years, and I think all of uh, you know many of our investors have you know been have invested in us one multiple times, but two you know over the last number of years. So they were very you know very aware and looking very closely at the trends that we were you know uncovering in the market and the growth that we were experiencing. So you know for them, they were already very much bought into the opportunity as a channel. Yeah. Um, I think you know, what happened is COVID, what, has, what has happened with COVID is a black swan event. No one could have predicted it. Um, no one fully knows what it's going to mean for the industry in the long run and what, what that, the change of trajectory that our, our industry and our, our, our sectors are going to experience. But um, for sure, it has put us in a, in a fortunate position to be able to provide what is, what is a, 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 you know, a very needed service. And we're also able to provide significant support to our retail partners uh, in terms of being able to expand their offerings uh, and providing access to consumers in local communities. You saw in the news recently, I think yesterday or, or the day before, three hour queues are going to IKEA in the UK. I just don't get it. When you can do it all online, why would you be doing that? Well, I think, you know, if you look at the UK, like we've just launched our very first partnership in the UK, which launched our first city in the UK. So we're now, for the first time, a, a multi-country business, a multi-country platform. And um, so we've launched into Bristol being our first city with our very first UK partner within Co-op. Um, and I think, you know, what we have seen in the UK is that actually um, the demand for online is even more aggressive uh, in that in that market today. And many of the retailers have actually stopped taking on new customers um, and the likes of Acado, for example, have have uh, stopped providing access to new users and created a new VIP offering for existing customers. Uh, and this is mainly because the traditional infrastructure of online grocery doesn't scale yeah. uh, very well. It's very capitally intensive. Um, you know, you need a billion pounds to build a distribution center by you know 150 vans and hire drivers, which will again only be able to service a very small local community. And um, the best way to provide for mass scalable distribution of any commodity. Um, and this is, I suppose, where my background with electricity and gas has really kind of played into this part. It's a bit, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a strange connection. But the only way you distribute commodity through a market is through shared infrastructures. That's why yeah. we have one gas network. Why we have one electricity network? It's because it's it's prohibitively expensive to build independent networks to provide the same thing. And right now, across Ireland and the UK, you have nine independent delivery networks all trying to do the same thing, uh, all cancelling each other out and none of them being able to scale in a capitally efficient way. You know, our model doesn't require any distribution centers. We don't buy vans. You know, we just tur- we network the entire industry, the existing assets in the market, and we sweat those assets harder uh, for, for the stakeholders uh, in the market, both the consumers and the retailers. So I guess what you're offering, you're just, you don't have much already out there and not giving anything new. It's already there, just making it better. So, yeah, what I would say is we're optimizing the yeah. existing app market so that what we're doing is we're taking what's already there and we're actually making more taking more value from them you know all of our shoppers use their own car and their own smartphone these you know we don't have to buy handheld terminals we don't have to buy fifty thousand pound chilled vans you know we can actually use all the existing infrastructure to create you know more more effective and more scalable uh, infrastructure and um, but also removing all of that capex that typically comes with building these large hub and spoke vertically integrated models so in a way you're a bit like just eat in that the uh you're providing the uh, externally. You're like them in that they have uh, delivery of cars and vans which they don't own. Same with you guys. Yeah, very, very much so. So we we, we are a platform, pure platform. You know, we're the fastest grocery 
uh, service in the country, but yet we don't own vans, we have no warehouses, we don't hold stock. You know, and what we do is we actually just facilitate the transfer of cash flow and data between all of the stakeholders, you know, our personal shoppers, our consumers, and our retailers, to allow for more more uh, frictionless transactions to occur. And um, you know, the whole the whole transition that we've seen, Ronan, over the last you know ten years, and you'll be you know fully aware of this in terms of what's happening across all the different sectors when it comes to tech and platform. But you know, we've seen it global transformation in the way economic activity is managed within markets, within sectors. You have almost every vertical now that has data-driven, uh, hyper, hyper um, I would say hyper-speed uh, uh, data and algorithms that are optimizing markets. They're collecting local economic information and allowing uh, stakeholders to connect in a way that they've never done before. And what we're doing is the exact same thing, just specifically targeted around grocery. Well, you're lucky because 10 years ago to do this would be harder because not everyone had a smartphone that could, that could handle this. Whereas nowadays, smartphones are so cheap. And right. Everyone's got one now. Absolutely. Um, I, think, I think the very first uh, online, big online technology grocery play was WebVan, you yeah. know, back in the dot-com boom. You know, they, and they, they grew incredibly fast. And there, was, uh, there was demand for online then, um, but the infrastructure and technology just wasn't there. The costs were prohibitive, um, and and yeah, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The fact that everyone's carrying around a supercomputer in their pocket allows you to network the whole market in a way that's never been done before. But most importantly, most importantly, create a real time data feed, and that is what these smartphones do. They allow you to network and collect data in a way that's never been done before to transform supply chains to yeah. transform uh, the facilitation of grocery delivery um, and that's the, that's what you know get, that's what gets us up out of uh, bed in the morning that's the thing that we're so excited about is that you know we really are building some incredibly unique and, and, and what I like to think cutting edge uh, technology for for the industry as a whole I remember years ago David Bowie was interviewed about technology and he said the future is internet back in 1999 was that's what's, what's going to be and at that time, he actually was the first person to sell online music online. He was in the first, he, he then actually also decided, I'm going to stream a concert online. At that time, he, the servers collapsed because I couldn't cope with it. But if he, if he was, when he was, when, just before he died, he could stream a concert on Asia because technology was, was ready for it. You can carry it in your pocket. He couldn't then. David Bowie was one of the most entrepreneurial minds in the music industry. Yeah. Um, the more interesting anecdotes about Bowie that I, that I heard, and I was really interested. My background is finance. What he decided was he recognized that you know his his IP would generate about 150 million dollars of, of revenue over the next let's say 10 to 15 years. So what he actually created was the was Bowie bonds, yeah, um, and then sold those those financial instruments to uh, to investors where he got his money up front, and they were able to then um, securitize the cash flow over time. Which I just I, I think that. You know, stories like that are always fascinating me when people come up with these really interesting and uh, and creative ways of uh, of leveraging the the value that they're creating. Yeah, because I can remember the day he died. I, I woke up in the morning and the radio was playing uh, Starman, and when I heard he died, I wrote an obituary of what he'd done over the years and everything he's done. He was he was the first person to do, to uh, to send an email on on, on a tour in '83 to use email. And I remember when one of the videos asked Ashes, he had a device which he was using to let people tablets. In my view, it was like an iPad, what he had then. He did all kind of weird stuff. And all the videos that he did, he conceived the idea, like Freddie Mercury McQueen, he conceived the idea and, and they, were, they were groundbreaking. And he said, I want this, I want to do that. And he was doing things ahead of his time. And uh, when he also did his own uh, web company, Bowie Net, 
I think he did Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, he developed for them their website and all that. We think that it was time. Genius of a guy. And he always knew that technology was the future and just one day he appreciated we're going to, have the, we're going to be able to uh, use it ourselves because we're going to have device to do that. But I want to be ahead of the curve and do this. So when people are finally getting used to the technology, I've been doing it for years. I know what they want, how to, how to utilize it. He's been brilliant for that. Yeah, I know very much so. Really innovative mind. And that's what I mean right now. With you, what's happening now is in the past 10 years, the technology he was envisioning we're going to be using is now available to do that. So when you're shopping online 10 years ago, it, it was harder to do because not everyone had a smartphone or computer. Nowadays, we've all got one in our pockets. So it's easier for you guys as well. Very much so, yeah. We're, bene- we're beneficiaries of the, uh, of the technology infrastructure that's, uh, that's been developed in the last uh, 10 to 15 years for sure. Yeah, and I'm happy with that because, I mean, for me, it means that when my parents want to shop online, I can now show them what to do. And as they're used to using a smartphone, and most technology we're using now, similar kind of format of how they work, it's easier for them to use it. Because it, it's all yeah. gooey. Imagine if we were using MS-DOS-based computers to do all this. It wouldn't work at all. No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> I remember those days, and they, it's like, how does it work? How does it work? Whereas if you give somebody a picture and a mouse, they know exactly what to do, how they can find out within, within a minute how to use it. Yeah. It's just kind of, because I remember the early, the very early smartphones, before the Apple iPhone, and they weren't great to use at all. They were a bit clunky and didn't, didn't look great, but Apple came in and totally changed that, and then Google came in with Android and everything else. So we've got two different competing uh, phones uh, systems that are both showing us how, how easy it is to do it. Yeah, well, I think that's the other fascinating thing about these businesses. They're all platforms, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, and what we are, like as I said, what we're seeing is a platformification of the world. And um, you know, as we as we sit here on this on this platform itself, having a conversation called Zoom, you know. Um, yeah. And so, like, it's it's ultimately understanding how the landscape of technology is transforming at such a rapid pace, um, and how that's impacting you know a variety of industries. And and our our, our focus today is on the, on the grocery space. And I think that COVID-19 might see a big increase in shopping online. And I'm wondering if that will stay in the future. Will that be a common theme we're going to see long-term wise? Well, I think, you know, what we will see is, as I said, that acceleration of people trying online for the first time. Um, I think early indication from Asia and China, where, you know, COVID has been around for a little bit longer, is that you know, upwards of 20% of consumers who have moved into the online channel during this period uh, are expected to stay in the online uh, channel uh, for the foreseeable future. So I think that, again, that, that kind of speaks to that, you know, fairly significant resegmentation that we're all experiencing. Yeah, I think that can only be a good thing because if you already have the technology ourselves, so it doesn't require much retraining and reskilling to use at all, so we, which is great. Yeah, well, I think, I, think it, I think it poses a natural challenge for, you know, all the various stakeholders. You know, we have a particularly grocery, you know, we've built 106 years of infrastructure um, focusing on self-serve, um, you know, uh, uh, grocery in-store models. Um, you know, as, as the market evolves, as consumer behaviors change, that's always going to create challenges, but also massive opportunities for, you know, for the established players to, to rethink how they approach certain challenges and re-engineer uh, how their infrastructure can be used in, the, in that new uh, environment. Yeah, I'm thinking of mom-pop grocery shops where you, wherever you went in, in, in those, you always got good service and the, the staff knew who you were and looked after you. So they're going to have yeah. to try and, and re- change themselves. Yeah, I think 
for grocery, you know, 99% of the volume now sits within, you know, the large enterprise retail partners. And, and, you know, that's, you know, one of the things that we've kind of focused on is, you know, the challenge for smaller retailers is that a lot of them don't have the necessary infrastructure to be able to participate in an online environment. And that, that comes because there's a, there is an initial upfront cost and a volume requirement uh, to buy the investment uh, to move into this channel. So what you've seen is that, you know, I think, First, there'll be an initial expansion in the in the enterprise retail space where you know more of the enterprise retailers will go online. I think I actually think that will probably facilitate the entry of, of smaller retailers in the future uh, to leverage the same infrastructure. And that's kind of our, our ambition for the for the for the channel is that we build an infrastructure that allows all retailers to be able to get online. And um, and where we're focusing our time today is to actually work with our enterprise retail partners to build build out the infrastructure to scale. So I'm thinking of if you're in a small town in the middle of nowhere in Ireland and you have four or five of those small shops in the area, they can all link together using your platform to go online and it won't be, the cost won't be as much as it used to be. Yeah, I think I think you'll definitely see cost reductions, um, and I think again you'll need to see different models for urban, suburban, and rural areas. Um, you'll have to adapt uh, the logistics and the infrastructure to uh, to provide for those different types of offerings because there's a big difference between developing in an urban, uh, de- de- delivering in an urban zone versus delivering to a rural community. And you know, you'll have to be able to be very creative and have a flexible uh, infrastructure and uh, consumer offering to service those different types of uh, demographics. Yeah, I think it's going to be, for you guys, it's going to be a challenging future, but also an interesting future as well, what's going to come in the line. Very much so. I, as I said, I very much feel that this is uh, you know, one of the last great frontiers, and, and I'm absolutely thrilled to spend the next decade or two of my career in this sector and you know, and experience the fast-moving uh, environment that, that it is, but also to contribute to um, to you know moving and helping retail adapt to this new challenge and, and building you know great technology and great innovations to, to help service uh, consumers in, in local communities. I think you'd be like Star Trek to boldly go where no man's gone before. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. So within within your five year mission, end of that, you'll suddenly see a lot more consumers going online and they'll be and you'll be thinking back five years ago, why weren't people chopping online then? Yeah, I think I think in retrospect is always uh, it's you always look back and say you know it's so funny that we didn't see it coming. Um, you know, I think one of the perfect examples of that is online dating. You know, just ten years ago, how weird was it when people met online? And now the vast majority of people meet uh, through through apps through the app economy. Yeah, uh, and you know, it's if you, you could go even step further, you could start to say, well, given given how much of a majority of people now meet uh, through these platforms. And, um, you know, these introductions have been facilitated by, you know, algorithmic selection. Uh, you could argue that these algorithms are actually starting to breed humans um, because yeah. <laughs> the offspring of these matches, um, you know, results in, in, uh, in, in, in more humans. So it's quite interesting to think about it uh, from, a, from a fairly high level and a, and, a, and, a, and a big picture sense and from a more of a macro view. I can see more shopping apps are going to be a bit like Tinder. Swipe left or right. Couldn't wait to buy <laughs> Maybe yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to predict exactly what type of consumer interfaces are gonna are gonna emerge over the next um, the next you know decade. And um, but I absolutely think, as I said, I think we're at the very the very early days of building out best in class online grocery experience. Yeah. And I think you know a new a new and a new approach to interface and consumer experience is going to be uh, a big part of the the, the the winning the winning game. Yeah, and even a company last month called Sweeper who do online car sales, and their their app is basically very similar to Tinder. Swipe left, swipe right. So I can see other businesses following that same model because it works. Yeah, very much so. It's it's very it's easy and it's fast. Yeah, that's what you want. You want something easy, fast that works and and no 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 lag time or anything else. So that when you're using it, you you can just take a break a few minutes and be able to go in there and log in and use it and don't worry about 
spending hours trying to find how to get where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And before we finish, is there anything else you want to add to, add to the podcast? Or do you think you, you've actually mentioned enough? I think, geez, I think we've covered quite a quite a quite a, a broad selection of topics there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think we're in a we're in a very exciting time for for the business. I mean, it's very challenging uh, for the market as a whole. Um, but I think you know, for anyone out there that's building or thinking of building out businesses, and particularly looking at tech as an opportunity, I think there's there's a huge amount of opportunity um, that will present itself. You know, over the next you know twelve to eighteen months, I think the way in which we live our lives is changing dramatically. And um, you know, it's 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 certainly been a tough experience for everyone. I think socially, um, but you know, starting to leverage you know new technology that we have around us to to augment those challenges that we're facing on a day to day basis, I think are are a big part of of how we will get through this. Um, I think you know, wrong podcasts like this are great. You know, the, the work that you guys are doing over Irish, Irish Tech News is fantastic. Um, you guys were one of the first uh, publications or outlets to to, uh, to write about us in our yeah. very early days back in 2016. So you guys have always been big supporters of us. So I'm very thankful of that. Um, and yeah, listen, thank you very much for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Well, for me, basically, we've always liked following unique new Irish startups. That's always been what we love doing. We're big in startups and in the fintech space as well. And with the podcast, I'm always loving to uh, promote Irish businesses that are doing very well. I have to promote how COVID nineteen, in a way, has made you has made you you guys stand out because for years you might have been been that well known, but moment COVID kicks in, suddenly you're known because because you're you're in the right space, right time. Yeah, I think I think a big part of that. Uh, I, I think there's a an old saying, isn't it, that uh, <laughs> success is where perspiration meets timing. Yeah. Uh, um, and you know we've been we've been at this for four years. Um, I think you know grocery delivery has all of a, all of a sudden become very sexy. A lot of people are trying to get into it now. Um, you know we've been at this for four years. We're experts in what we do, and we understand the infrastructure and the fundamentals of the market like no other. Um, and yeah, I think we found ourselves at the right place, right time, right team, right product. Um, mm. And and our goal now is just to make sure that we can rise to the occasion. Yeah, I'm thinking in the future you're going to see a lot more people using using basically uh, drones to deliver food. Yeah, I think, you know, the likes of Bobby Healy, yeah. man, has been doing some really, really cool stuff in that space. Um, yeah, it's certainly we're watching very closely. And I think, um, as I said, I think we're going to see significant changes in, in, in the way we live our lives, and particularly the way Last Mile operates across uh, a number of verticals, um, grocery, hot food, uh, as well as econ. I'm thinking right now, Bobby Healy, that right now he's got drones that are a certain size. I think in 10 years' time, they'll be a lot bigger and it can store a lot more. So, Instead of having cars delivering your grocery, it'll be like big drones. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. I think um, when it comes to drone delivery, I think battery technology and uh, distancing is, is the main barrier. I think you can you can deliver up to five kilos fairly comfortably over a decent distance of time, but the average grocery basket has you know 15 kilos worth of items in it. Um, mm-hmm. So that would be an enormously large drone. I actually think that autonomous vehicles would probably be more practical for grocery and also a little bit less dangerous um, given the, the types of weights that you're dealing with yeah. at significant heights. But I think autonomous vehicle road-based drones will be a, a big driving force for, for innovation in the, in the space. Yeah. So I'm also thinking in long term, everything we see that's multi-based We'll be trying to we will we put into the uh, real world though, like the moment when she does drones that the military use to fire rockets and everything else. That technology has got long term battery life, so you can see part of that being used in uh, in autonomous vehicles and also uh, other drones as well for delivering stuff. So it will come down eventually, water down, yeah. trickle down. Absolutely, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for that, Devin. Have a great day and uh, good luck in the future and. Uh, stay safe and be good. No problem. Listen, thanks so much for having us and uh, yeah, best of luck. Thanks, take care. Cheers, bye-bye. Bye-bye.